You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Jesus repeated himself saying, I am the light of the world. People need to see that light. In this darkened age that we now live, people need to see the light of Christ. Because the light of Christ represents hope in a world that has no hope. The light of Christ represents promise in a world that has no promise. The light of Christ represents a future in a world that has no future. We are the light of the world, Christ said. You are the light of the world, Christ said, and that light needs to be shown. Shine the light you've been given. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Dave, he shares with you that the world needs to see the light of Christ. The light of Christ represents a hope, a future, and a promise that the world does not have. As a disciple of Jesus, you are called to shine your light, point others to Jesus. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 9. As he begins his message, here's clay in your eye. We're going to be doing the first 12 verses in the Gospel of John, chapter 9. So if you find that and get to those pages, we will begin our study this morning and see what the Lord has in store for us. I'm kind of excited about this study this morning. The Lord has blessed me with many different things, and I hope that I can share them with you. I'm going to read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently the Gospel of John, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind men with the clay. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is, this, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So I need to start this morning with one of my famous questions. Have you ever heard or maybe used the saying, here's mud in your eye? Yeah, most of us probably have. Well, you might know that it's a toast, and it's usually between friends before drinking of all things. But it's used to express friendly feelings towards one's companions, and it can mean good health, It could mean long life. It could mean good fortune and all those things. 
So I decided I would do an extensive search on the internet to find out the origin of this meaning, this idiom. And you found all sorts of things. Of course, you know the internet doesn't lie. <laughs> Everything you read on the internet is true, right? So, but I found some really interesting things. Some said that it is, um, it originated in World War I because of the men slopping in the mud in the trenches of World War I. But that doesn't hold water because some, some sources said it predated 1800s. So the uh, World War I was a little bit after 1800. Others believe that it came from racehorsing, when the jockeys would come back all muddy because of the mud that was thrown onto them from another horse as they were racing. And still others believe that it contains wishes of good fortune or good luck to those racers who compete in mud competitions going through obstacle courses and leaping over and jumping around in mud. In fact, nowadays, if you see, the, they have these actual mud races where people actually race through the mud and, you know, the rest. So it's all very interesting, and it's all well and good. So I kept on looking, and several websites, I might add, more than one website, quite a few, said what the English Forum said, and I found this to be very interesting. English Forum said this, quote, the actual origin of this phrase is biblical. When Jesus spat in the dirt and rubbed the wet dirt mud into the eye of a blind man, which healed the man's sight. Here's the cure. Sounds the most plausible given circumstances under which it's most often used, unquote. I found this to be quite fascinating. But regardless of where this idiom, saying, phrase originated, in our text this morning, we see that Jesus is once again stirring the pot when it comes to he and his relationship with the Pharisees. He's stirring the pot once again, causing even more controversy, causing even more conflict, as he once again heals a man on the Sabbath. And we said last week, if you look at verse 14 in John 9, it says, now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So right away, Jesus is stirring the pot. Right away, Jesus is trying to get a rise out of the Pharisees. We've discussed this many times, that Jesus is now in the shadow of the cross. Everything Jesus is doing now has one purpose and one purpose only, and that's the cross. Jesus had his face set like a flint toward the cross. Nothing was going to keep him from his appointed destination. Nothing was going to stop him from going to the cross. Nothing was going to keep him from accomplishing that which God had sent him to earth to do. He knew he would be the sacrifice. He knew he would, is the Lamb of God. He knew that he was God's lamb, perfect, without a blemish, that would take away the sins of the world. We've discussed that. Last week, as we studied verses 1 through 5, we answered the question, who sinned? When Jesus and his disciples came across the blind man on their way out of the temple, they saw two different things. Jesus looked upon the man with compassion, but the disciples did not. Instead, the disciples wanted to have a theological discussion. See, it's much easier to discuss abstracts like who sinned than it is to minister to the blatant need of a person. A lot of times we get wrapped up in abstracts 
instead of ministering to those who have actual needs. Too many of us major on the abstract instead of the need itself. The disciples were sure that somewhere along the line, whether in this life or a previous life, the man or his parents had sinned. But Jesus disagreed. Now we know that both he, this man blind, and his parents were in sinners. We know that because the scripture tells us that all have fallen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that. That's a given. We know that they were sinners. But Jesus made it quite clear that their sin was not the reason that this man was born blind. And he never suggested that God deliberately made this man blind so that years later, Jesus could come on the scene and heal him. That was not the suggestion. Then Jesus reveals to the disciples the true reason why the man was blind. We read that in verse 3b. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. This was the reason. All glory to God in sickness, in health. All glory to God in healing. All glory to God when there is no healing. All glory to God in afflictions, trials, and persecutions. If God heals, if God does not heal, all glory is given to God. Why? So that God can be revealed in all things. God needs to be revealed in your life and in my life so others will see him. Others look at you when you're going through a hard time. Others see you in sicknesses. Others see you in trial. Others see you in afflictions and even persecutions. The main goal in our lives is to reveal God. The main goal in our lives is to reveal God. But in order to reveal God, people need to see him clearly. People will be able to see him clearly. And in order for them to see clearly, the blindness must be removed. The blind eyes must be open. Jesus wanted to open this man's eyes so he, this man could see the work of God. In verse 5, Jesus repeated himself saying, I am the light of the world. People need to see that light. In this darkened age that we now live, people need to see the light of Christ because the light of Christ represents hope in a world that has no hope. The light of Christ represents promise in a world that has no promise. The light of Christ represents a future in a world that has no future. We are the light of the world, Christ said. You are the light of the world, Christ said. And that light needs to be shown. And in the beautiful gospel of Matthew, you know where I'm going. In Matthew 5, specifically verse 16, Jesus is speaking right after he went through the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine. And as we continue through this gospel, and as we study the ministry of Jesus Christ, so often we read that multitudes came to him, and he touched each one of them, and he healed them, and he touched them. And he, when they went away, it says they went away glorifying God. The purpose of all of this, so that God would be, God would be glorified. You see, he didn't touch people in a way that, that people would see his good works and glorify him, although he was God, he pointed to the Father. He always pointed to the Father. He never took it upon himself. So the Christian life is a fine balance. We are a fine balance. Christ told us the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so they will glorify your Father in heaven, that they will go away praising him and not you. This is why we go through trials. This is why we go through afflictions. This is why we have persecution. This is why we, those things happen to us so that God can be revealed in our lives. So people outside looking in, and they're looking, folks. They're looking. 
You claim to be a Christian, people are watching. People are looking. They want to know if what you believe is real. Is it real to you? Because if it's not real to you, how do you expect it to be real to them? So they're looking. They're studying you. So Jesus is coming out of the temple, and he stops before this blind man. Blind since birth. Imagine. Blind since birth. Imagine. Never seeing anything of God's creation. Never seeing a beautiful sunset. Never seeing a beautiful sunrise. Never seeing a beautiful crystal clear blue sky. Imagine living in darkness, constant darkness, total darkness, not even seeing what you eat, not even seeing your mother nor your father, but living in total darkness, not even knowing the joy of light. Imagine that. He must have felt horribly alone. Must have felt horribly alone. Must have been very sad. Jesus saw the man. When Jesus saw him, he knew exactly what he was going to do. But this time, his method was quite unusual. It was quite unique, to say the least. The compassions of our Lord Jesus were very tender toward this person. He saw him. In other words, he looked upon him with concern. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it is of great comfort to me to know that God sees you in your afflictions. Great comfort to me that God knows the sorrows of your heart. And it's of great comfort to me that God hears your cries for help. So too, Christ saw this poor man. Others saw him. How many people walked by this man and never gave him a second thought? How many people over all the years that he was there walked by this man and never gave him another thought? They didn't see him, but Jesus saw him. The poor man couldn't even see Jesus Christ, but that didn't matter. Christ saw him. Christ saw him. And Christ wanted to deliver him out of darkness. Christ wanted to take him out of darkness and place him into his marvelous light. Others may not even see you. They might not even know the afflictions that have come upon you. They might not even know your pain or your hurts. But Jesus does. Jesus sees your pain. Jesus hears your cry for help. He knows your hurt. Jesus knows what you're going through, and he wants to deliver you from them. He wants to give you hope where there is no hope. He wants to give you peace where there is no peace, and he wants to comfort you where there is no comfort. So Jesus does something unusual. If you look at verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. This must have startled the disciples once again. The disciples thought they knew how Jesus would work. The first time Jesus healed a blind man, he went up to him and he touched his eyes and said, be healed, and the blind man was healed. And I can imagine the next time they were walking down the road and Jesus came upon the blind man, Peter probably said, watch this, ha-ha, watch this, he's going to touch the guy. And Jesus came up and spit in the guy's eye. Whoa. What? So they were baffled. They had no idea what Jesus was going to do. They never knew what Jesus was going to do. And he comes up to there. And all through Mark and Matthew, the Gospels, you see Jesus heals them. Why does he heal differently? Because you can't put Jesus into a religious box. You can't put him in a religious box. You can't expect him to heal the same way every single time. But you can expect him to heal. He uses all sorts of things to heal people. 
All sorts, including doctors, including medicines. He uses all sorts of things to heal. There is no formula that I can give you. If you do this, 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 and this, you'll be healed. I can't give you that formula. I wish I could. But we can't get caught up in the method. Don't get caught up in the method of the healing. It's not the method that made this man see. It was the healing power that comes from God and God alone that made this man see. We call people up here. We have oil that we anoint people with. According to scriptures, call for the elders of the church, anyone who's sick, and they will anoint you with oil and say the prayer of faith. The oil has no special power. Some of the oil we got up here makes it great for a salad. You can put it on a salad and eat it. It's great oil. There's no healing power in the oil. God does the healing. God does all healing. So you can't put your trust in this. You put your trust in God who's going to do the healing. There's no magical power. God is the one who heals and uses different ways to heal. But all healing comes from him. Jesus always used healing to set up a message. He always used healing to set up a message. Some people tend to focus on the healing, and they miss the message. So many people are focused on the healing, they miss the message that Jesus is trying to come forth with. So rather than just speaking to the man, rather than laying of hands on him, he does something quite interesting. He makes mud out of spittle and clay and rubs it in the man's eye. Here's clay in your eyes. What does this man think while Jesus was doing all this? What does this man think when he, he had to feel something wet on his face? He had to feel something wet. Now not only, not only was he blind, but he's got all this irritation on his face, making him crazy. You know what's interesting, though? In Jesus' day, they actually believed that spittle from those who were notable had healing powers. Actually believed that spittle from those who were notable had healing powers. So Jesus, Jesus makes this really crude eye salve, right, out of clay and spit. I wonder if the man heard him. What is he doing? What if the man heard him? He, he, obviously, he couldn't see. And he rubs it in the man's eyes. It's really interesting. One commentator says this, quote, Christ making use of his own spittle imitates that there is healer virtually in everything that belongs to Jesus Christ. I like that. The clay made out of his spittle was more precious than anything else in the world. Can you imagine that? I mean, we think of spittle of, ew, Some of you probably are scathing when you said, he spit on him. Well, he made clay. Can you imagine the guy? He spit right in his eye. Jesus anointed the man's eyes with the clay, with the mud. He put it on there. I get a vision of a tender physician. We call him the great physician, don't we? I get a, I get a, I get a look of this tender physician rubbing it on the man's eye so beautifully, rubbing it on there. And it's interesting that at no time Jesus is touching the man, but he wasn't healed, was he? He wasn't healed by Jesus' touch. It was beautiful. He did it with his own hand. Here he is with a beggar. People wouldn't even give this guy the time of day. He probably had ragged clothes on. He might have smelt. I don't know. But Jesus is there next to him, rubbing salve in his eye because of the great compassion he had for the sick and the lost. And the gospel message says that he were sent to open the eyes of the blind. Look at Acts 26. 
In Acts 26, the Apostle Paul is on the Damascus Road, right? And he's before King Agrippa, giving his testimony to King Agrippa. And look what he says to King Agrippa in um, verse uh, 17 and 18 on 26. Jesus is speaking to the Apostle Paul, telling him, I, Jesus, will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I send you. Why? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified in faith by me. This implies the blindness of the sinner. It applies of those who are spiritually blind, the present condition, blind as to the future, the spiritual blind, living for material only, to turn them from darkness to light, those who are living in the sin and darkness. And in a moral sense, darkness is ignorance. Light is knowledge. Darkness is evil. Light is good and pure. And in a spiritual sense, darkness means death. Darkness means death. Light means life. Why does a person walk in darkness? They're either ignorant or they're evil. It can't be one of the other. It has to be one or the other. And Jesus spoke to those who walked in darkness. He loved those who walked in darkness. I've came to seek that which was lost. Those who are walking in darkness. Gospel John chapter 1 told us that people love darkness because they can hide their sin in darkness. So people walk in darkness. Jesus gives this man's instructions. He tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Look at verse 10. Um, excuse me, 7. And he, Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Interesting, the pool of Siloam was where the priests went and filled up their great big jars and jugs for the Feast of Tabernacles, remember? And they came back and they poured it on the steps. Remember the last day of the feast? They came back without water, and Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and out of him will flow torrents of rivers of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit. That's very, very interesting. The meaning of Siloam is sent. And basically, the pool of Siloam was made from Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah tunnel that went through and it sent water from one place into Jerusalem. But there's no spiritual connection between the pool and the healing. Once again, it was a method that Jesus was using. It was a method that Jesus was using. However, the waters of Siloam in the olden times signified the throne and kingdom of the house of David, which pointed to the Messiah, the one who was sent. Siloam, sent. Jesus was pointing to himself as the healer. I love this. The man makes his way to the pool. How did he get to the pool? How did he even know where it was? He makes his way to the pool. He washes, and he receives his, his, his sight. Do you realize what faith this took? Do you realize what faith and obedience this took for this man to do this? Wow. Jesus never promised that he would be healed if he washed. Jesus just threw mud in his eyes and said, now go wash. He didn't say, here's this mud, I'm going to put it in your eyes, and if you go wash, you'll be healed. Never said that, did he? He just said, here's mud in your eye, now go wash. The man acted on faith. You are a sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at AshoreHopeRadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.